Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of Evanston. This Sunday's sermon was given by Senior Pastor, Rev. Dr. Ray Hilton. If you'd like more information about First Presbyterian Church of Evanston, please visit firstpresevanston.org. Our scripture reading today is from the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 3, verses 3 through 17, in the New Testament section of our Red Bibles on page 3. Please join me in a prayer for illumination. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. Matthew 3, verse 13. Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus had been baptized, just as he came up from the water, suddenly the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice came from heaven, said, this is my son, the beloved, with whom I am well pleased. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, again, we want to welcome you to God's church. Welcome to our congregation. This is the house of the Lord. And we're grateful that you're here with us today. Last week, if you were here, we opened up this new series that we're calling Marking Time, Marking Time. And it's, it's built around the, the idea that the way we handle time is actually more significant than how we handle money. And what I said last week was that you can lose money and you can make the money back that you've lost, but once you've used up time, you cannot, you cannot buy back time. You cannot buy back time. Once you've used it up, it's gone. And I wanted to, to make the point that time and how we use our time, it is the, it's the raw material for all of life. It is the means by which we live and serve and do all that God has called us to do. And so if you have your Bibles, would you open up to the text that we just read? If time is a gift from God, to be used to seek God, as the Magi did last, as we read last week, then we also believe that time is a gift from God that we use to serve God. As I was preparing my thoughts for today, I, my mind went back often. Hardly a Sunday goes by, and my mind doesn't go back to that trip 27 of us took in June of last year, early June. We were led by KK, Dr. K.K. Yo and his wife, Kang Su, 
and 27 of us walked most of the length and the breadth of the land of Israel and Palestine. But one of the parts of the trip that stood out to me was when we had the privilege of visiting this ancient site that is now called the Qumran site near the Dead Sea. For more than 2,000 years, if you can imagine that, there were these Jewish people who were very concerned about the corruption that was going on in Jerusalem. Some scholars say not only that, but they were being persecuted. The priestly order, the political order, it was all corrupted and polluted. And these, these Jews decided that the best thing for them was to leave the city of Jerusalem and they went south to the desert, to the, the, the desert, away from the corruption, away from the sinfulness and the rulers in the city of Jerusalem. And they established a community in the desert, a holy order, a monastic order almost, where they sought to forge a way of life that was distinct from the surrounding culture, to form a holy community, a pure community. And I want you to know that I, walking those grounds, it was a very hot day, very hot day in the triple digits, I walked away with a lot of respect for what these people tried to do but I also made a note in my mind that Jesus did not tell us to go and cloister ourselves, distance ourselves from the world, that Christians are not world-denying people. Somehow, we're to be in the world, but not of the world. This is what Christians are called to do. They're called to serve, to be in the world, serving and the founder of our movement, Jesus Christ, was a servant. And this text that we just read is a loaded text. It is a very difficult text. It's a very complex text. Because on one level, John the Baptist stood in that hot wilderness of Judea, and people came from all over, and when they came, he preached a message announcing that the kingdom of God was here, the kingdom of God was coming, and in order to prepare yourself, you needed to be baptized, and you would go into the River Jordan, and you would be baptized, and that baptism in the River Jordan was a sign of repentance and change. John was calling people to repent of their sins, and then comes Jesus, Jesus walks into the waters, and when John saw him, John said, Why are you coming to me to be baptized? I should be coming to you for baptism. It's a very difficult thing to consider because then, should we then be assuming that by coming into the water to be baptized, was Jesus also admitting that he needed to repent of some sin? And that's a question people have struggled. Why? Why did Jesus seek baptism? And the only answer Jesus gives to him is in verse 15. Jesus said, Let it be so now, for it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. I think the initial difficulty that John had with Jesus's request to be baptized was that John knew something about Jesus that a lot of people didn't know. He knew he was the Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. 
He knew that he was the promised one. When they said to John, are you the one who is coming or should we look for another? And John made it very clear, no, I'm not the one. I'm just a voice crying in the wilderness. The one who is coming after me is greater than me. I'm not even worthy to untie his shoes. He says, when he comes, I'm baptizing you with water, but when he comes, he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And that's another complexity. That when Jesus was conceived, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. But when he comes up out of the water, we're told that the Holy Spirit, like a dove, descended on him. What's going on there? When Jesus was conceived, we understand that he was conceived by the Holy Spirit as the Son of God. And yet, as he's coming out of the water, we hear the voice of the Father saying, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. What is going on there? And the only thing I can tell you is that this scene that we just saw in, the John, in Matthew chapter 3 is really a scene of dignity or kingship and humility. I believe what you and I just saw in Matthew 3 was that the king of kings arrives and instead of demanding obeisance, he himself goes into the water and takes the form of a servant. He humbles himself. By humbling himself, what is he doing? He's identifying with the people he has come to serve. And so in one sense, baptism is a call to serve. You know, this reminds me of something that I witnessed. I was only a year after having lived in America. I came to America in October of 1981. And somewhere around April of 1982, a massive, massive flood descended on the city of Fort Wayne. Fort Wayne is bound, boundaried by, by some rivers, and often when the rains fall heavy in Fort Wayne, Indiana, the city of Fort Wayne and the surrounding regions are flooded. And I'll never forget the scene of President Ronald Reagan. He had only been a president for a short amount of time. During the 1982 flood, there is President Ronald Reagan in a suit, wearing some borrowed rubber boots. He had spent several hours on that site helping to fill sandbags, and then he got in line with others and passed those sandbags along, helping to build these dikes to prevent further flooding. And as somebody new to America, it just blew me away that the President of the United States the most powerful nation on the earth, showed up. And, you know, the cynic in all of us might say, well, it was just a photo op. Well, you know, you have to understand, back in 1982, somebody who had only been in this country less than a year, I wasn't thinking photo op. I was just blown away that the president of the most powerful nation on the world at that time, and maybe still is, showed up among a group of people who were in desperate trouble, and he was there helping them. And I remember the news reports, how people were encouraged, people were touched, people were moved, that Ronald Reagan took the form of a servant. In a much grander way, I believe that's what Jesus is doing here this, in our text this morning. He shows up. He identifies through his baptism with sinful humanity so that he will be able to fulfill 
the role as their savior. Some also believe that the baptism of Jesus marked the start of his public ministry. And if you turn over in your Bibles to the very next chapter, chapter 4, you'll notice a couple things there, that Jesus, after leaving this wonderful, powerful scene of baptism, we're told that he's led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness where he is tempted by the devil for 40 days. And that is so common, right? Where God does something wonderful in our lives, and so often what follows after that is some kind of battle or temptation or some kind of difficulty. Chapter 4, 1 through 11, Jesus is tempted by the devil. You go all the way down to chapter 4 and verse 23, and what do we read of Jesus? Here's what we read. He walked by the Sea of Galilee. He called disciples. He recruited disciples to follow him. And then these wonderful words, he traveled the region and the towns and the villages teaching in their synagogue and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness among the people. Jesus was fulfilling the picture of that servant in Isaiah, in the book of Isaiah chapter 61, who comes under the anointing of the Holy Spirit to serve. And so when we think about the baptism of Jesus, it really was a time for him to inaugurate his ministry of service. I have a question for you. Do you remember your baptism? And even if you don't remember it, did your parents tell you about your baptism if you were baptized as a child? I remember my baptism only because I was baptized at the age of 17. It was in my home church. It was a Sunday night in that small community of Spanish Town, Jamaica. I remember standing. We had a baptismal pool. I was standing in the water, and next to me was our pastor. His was second-generation Chinese pastor. One of the elders was standing next to him, and I remember as a lanky 17-year-old boy standing next to this diminutive pastor of mine, and he said to me, and this is what they called me back then, Reynard, he said to me, do you confess yourself to be a sinner? And I said, yes. Is Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior? And I said, yes. Do you then promise to live your life, and these are the words, in service to Jesus Christ? And I said, yes. And then he said these words, upon confession of your faith, I now baptize you. And he held me, he along with the elder, and they put me under and they pulled me up. When I came up out of the water, the choir was right behind the baptismal pool, and the choir started singing, and they did that for all the candidates who were baptized that Sunday night. They started th singing these words, goodbye world, I am gone. Goodbye world, I am gone, for the Holy Ghost and fire is taking control. Goodbye world, goodbye world, I am gone. I did not understand those words to be I'm going to deny the world, I'm going to avoid the world, I'm going to live on some mountain in Jamaica and avoid the impurities of the world. I didn't understand it that way. You see, we had classes before we were baptized, and what I understood was happening to me was that I was now transferring the ownership of my life 
From everything I knew about myself and the powers of my own control, I was no longer my own. I was giving my life over to the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus was not going to be a sidekick who endorsed all the things I like to do. Jesus, based on my baptismal classes, was now my Lord. And I understood that night, and I want you to hear this now, whether you were baptized by immersion, whether you were baptized by sprinkling, it really doesn't matter. It's not about the, it's not about the form of the baptism. It's about the meaning of the baptism. I want you to understand the meaning of your baptism. And I understood that night that my baptism was my ordination, my ordination call to be a servant now listen, this is before I even dreamed of doing what I'm doing now. I understood I was supposed to then now be a public servant of God. I was ordained to serve. Listen, let me just go a little bit further with this now. When I, when I was baptized in 1977, I didn't then just go back and camp out in the pews. I was baptized and called into service. And I remember distinctly being sort of pushed out of my comfort zone and being asked to do things that I wasn't comfortable doing. I started helping out with children's church. I'd never taught children's church before. I helped out with VBS, ushering. I wasn't too bad with that. I, was, I could hand out a bulletin. But then our church, and you know, you don't see much of this anymore in the U.S., but our church back then did what was called street evangelism. And I was paired up with some other people, and we went door to door, and we went into Spanish town proper, and we were handing out tracts and inviting people to church and sharing the love of Jesus with people. And then I started joining up with the Bible studies that were going on in my high school at Calabar High School. And then I started sharing my testimony with my friends and with my family members. Baptism was my call to serve. But here's where it really got real. I was not always a, a supportive, helpful young man in my family's home, in my mother's house. And as the Lordship of Jesus Christ began to take control of my mind and my heart, I realized that I can't be a rebel against my mother and then claim to be a Christian. And so I remember starting to work on being a better listener, being more supportive, being more cooperative, not complaining when I'm asked to do something in the home. I understood what it meant to be a servant, that it meant that I was supposed to try to make things easier for others, that it's not about me. And then here's where it really came home for me. Because for several years, my father and I were in an alienated state, and I felt so self-righteous that he was wrong and I was right, and I was going to wait for him to come to me and apologize, and then maybe if I, if I have it in my heart, I would forgive him. And I remember my Christianity waking me up one day and said that if God who is in Christ would forgive me, if I don't forgive others, then my forgiveness from God is in jeopardy. And it dawned on me that as a Christian, as a servant of God, my responsibility is not to wait for that person to come to me. That as a servant of God, I am to humble myself. And that's what I did. I went to my father and I said, would you forgive me? It was the best thing I ever did. 
It's the best thing I ever, the best thing you can ever do is to forgive other people because you are breaking chains. You can hear the chains fall. You can feel the bitterness ooze out of you. You can feel all the barriers and the hang-ups and the chips on your shoulder. They begin to go away when you forgive. And that's what servants of God are supposed to do. Pastor Lou said that night, when you publicly declare allegiance to be a servant of the King of Kings, you are now on the devil's most wanted list. Because you see, the devil is comfortable with Christians self-identifying all the labels that we use for ourselves. You know, I'm a, I'm a Democrat, I'm a Republican, I'm an Independent, I'm a leader, I'm a, I'm a this and I'm a that, I'm a Calvinist. And we, we, we label all these labels, I'm a Presbyterian. The devil, devil doesn't tremble when we identify both by those human labels. But the minute you begin to identify as a servant of God, the minute you begin to live into that identity, not just by saying it, but by doing it, that's when the kingdom of darkness is threatened. Because what happens when you understand yourself to be a servant of God, you're not just serving in the local church. That's wonderful. Your service to God goes beyond these walls, and you begin to heal. That's what we were praying in the confession that's what Jesus did when he went to the synagogue. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. And you begin to bring good news to the poor. You begin to serve in so many different ways to lift up, to fix what is broken, to heal what is sick, to give hope where there's hopelessness, to bring the love and the justice of Jesus Christ to places that are so forlorn. The devil trembles at that kind of Christian because by then now, you're not just identifying yourself the way you see yourself, but you're identifying yourself the way God sees you. Think about the mission of our church. Did you know the word serve is in the mission of our church? Our church exists to know Jesus Christ, to grow in him, to serve him, and to make disciples in Evanston, the Chicago area, and the world. The devil wants us to just keep that as a mission statement, guys, and never do anything about it. And we can keep it on the bulletin and repeat it day in and day out and say how lovely. We've got a very rhythmic, very poetic, very beautiful mission statement. And the kingdom of darkness is never threatened. But the day we decide that this is about our calling, my baptism is about my calling to be a servant, to humble myself the way Jesus did and serve, then that's when things begin to shift and to change. I have one last question for you. If you believe that you are a servant of God, and I hope you do, that question then is, where do you practice your service? Where do you practice? When I played basketball, I knew where to go to practice. As a Christian, where do you practice? I hope you have a place. You go to work. You know that at work you can practice being a servant to your coworkers. When you go to school, you know that at school, your identity goes with you and you can practice being a servant of Christ at school. When you're at home, and I'm telling you, home, the most difficult place to be a Christian because you're not dressed up. I'm not in my robe. I'm not standing before you preaching. I'm at home. I'm letting it all hang out. 
That's the most difficult place to love my wife and to serve her and to serve my kids and to serve my neighbor. Where do you practice being a servant of Jesus Christ? My brothers and sisters, I pray this morning, I urge you this morning that you will adopt the mind and the attitude of Jesus. As it says in in Philippians, even though he was in the form of God, he did not think equality with God as something to be hoarded or to be grasped or to be held to, but instead, notice what it says in Philippians 2, instead he humbled himself. He took on the form of a servant and he became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. And the scriptures goes on and it says, so that God has highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. When you submit yourself and serve without worrying about who's seeing you and who's getting the recognition, the Bible tells us that God's going to be glorified. If you humble yourself, God will exalt you. If you want to be great, be a servant, God will exalt you. And so our church, we're looking for some people who self-identify as servants of the living God not to do more stuff in the building, but we're looking for some people who will live into the mission and will be scattered into our community and serve, opening the door for somebody, helping somebody who needs your help, just serving, giving to the needs of others. That's what Jesus did. I think that's what President Ronald Reagan was doing. I think that's what Jesus calls us to do. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and God's people say, Amen.